As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Brilliant! He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Oh, I say, it's amazing. He does it tame and tame and tame again. Break up the music, charge a glass. Just how quickly did Super Sunday turn our attention to the Etihad to the hundredth of a second? A new challenger enters in the game of novel terms to describe a near-post flick-on. Ian Dark's sensational mid-1990s WWF voice twin. Who qualifies to be an old warhorse? What are the basics? Continental carpet crest classy touches. The most Australian co-commentator of all time. Definitive proof of Manchester United's place in the doldrums. In and around Last Chance Saloon. Who was the first manager to earn themselves the surname ball concept? Beef Olay with Andy Gray and Richard Keyes on climate change. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 152 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me once again is Charlie Eccleshare. How's it going? Good, yeah. I'm excited for this. You've given it some build-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be. This is a, this is a classic adjudication panel today. Um crunch week for you with the intertotally quiz semi-final coming up feeling the pressure um a little bit though to be honest at this point i'm you know semis is no disgrace so a bit playing with house money from here on in hmm interesting um well i can tell you the standard has raised for the semi-finals the difficulty level has gone up so be prepared for that alongside you for the adjudication panel today is david walker uh how are things <laughs> Yeah, very good. And in- much anticipated moment for Super Sunday for me was exactly how much time they were going to spend analysing Norwich Burnley before they turned mm. their attention to the Etihad. Um, I wasn't so fussed about it that I was going to put the research in, but someone did. Listener Charlie has got in touch. He says, I timed the Norwich versus Burnley post-match analysis on Sunday as lasting 50.73 seconds. <laughs> Is this a record? <laughs> Has to be. <laughs> 
Surely. 50.73. Mm. What the hell did they say in... In fifty point seven three seconds. Just ran through the goals. Have, what analysis can you fit? Can you fit? Just in ran through that the time? goals. That was it. Um, I mean, surely those were two goals. Yeah. Surely, the, I mean, there must have been really tight edits on those goal clips. Well, yeah, I suppose so. Um, I, there was no replays. No replays. Yeah, just literally yeah. played the goal, but you know, real time. Um, uh, is that that about as much as it deserved, Charlie? Is that harsh? I mean, I know there was a further analysis on Sky Sports News, I imagine, etc. No one's watching. Bit harsh for me. Mm, Bit harsh. Yeah, but I I don't think that's unprecedented. I reckon there'll be... It will have been rivaled. I'm trying to think of situations in life when you you really feel you need to... You sort of... Like someone's... I'm trying to think what it would be. Like they've almost like let you... They've done you a favour and you feel like, oh, I should... I should probably stay and like thank them and chat for a minute, but my heart's really uh, not in it. I'm just doing this out of politeness and nice. just want to get through it. And you we're fit- a window into your yeah, side. Very revealing. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, we've all been well, there. The little people. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Um, I-, I thought listener Charlie was was you know just speculating um, for banter purposes. I-, I asked him, and he sent me the video of his TV in the background and his and his <laughs> iPad with the stopwatch going. As if this was like the Guinness Book of Records or something, and he had to verify it. Fifty point seven three, and he was bang on the money with the with the stopping of the. So there was watch. no talk around it; just the clips of the goals, not even a line no. from Keane no. or Richards or. or no, it Red began Nick. with um, began with a graphic saying analysis: two goals straight to the Etihad. Fifty point seven three seconds. Wow. Um, no, no mucking Put about. Some quite rightly on so. Burnley and Norwich's names, guy. Come mm, on, should, shouldn't we just? Um, tell you who's putting respect on somebody's name and the BBC's Conor McNamara quoting football cliches during his commentary of Leeds versus Watford this weekend. Um, let's hear what he had to say. I was listening to uh, a podcast with Tim Vickery, the South American expert this week. He said in South America, they don't call it the, the postage stamp corner. They call it where the owl sleeps. Which I think is brilliant. Classy touch from uh, Conor there, Dave. Not Quite classy enough to name the podcast, but that's fine. That's fine. I mean, um, Tim Vickery was the star of the show, quite rightly so. So, yeah, but um, nice little touch, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, hopefully people listening around the world will have gone straight to Google, typed in <laughs> Tim Vickery podcast. I don't know if we put um, owl, where the owl sleeps in the in the description, though, no, so it won't turn up in the bad SEO. Bad SEO from yeah. us, yeah. <laughs> people will just be trawling through other podcasts and being disappointed yeah. when they don't hear that. Yes, God. What an afternoon that would be. Uh, Charlie, but it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. David Marples, listener David Marples has pointed me in the direction of a second mention for this. Let's hear that one. Brownhill going for what we call the uh, the postage stamp corner. I was listening to a podcast this week with Loves it. Tim Vickery, the, the, the South American football expert. And he said in in South America, they don't call it the, the postage stamp corner. They call it where the owl sleeps, which I think is very, very good. Where the owl sleeps. Yeah, so think of an owl sort of in a barn. Up yeah. safe in the corner in a protected area, just sort of, <laughs> you know, hanging on a beam, out of trouble, you know. That's where you want to hit it. Yeah, the top corner of the barn. Nice. You're not having that, yeah, are no, you? No, no, I, like I like it. I thought with your sort of oh, agricultural good. farming interests, you'd have been all over it. Wild life stereotypical. Because I'm from Norfolk, a little bit stereotypical there, is that? <laughs> you own more animals than anyone I know. Here is it, Tarkovsky. London Zoo? <laughs> I don't know then. Uh, lovely Partridgean <laughs> twist at the end there, Charlie. You have more animals than anyone I know. <laughs> but Sutton, Sutton embracing it, I'm, I'm glad to hear. Yeah, that, that's a, 
that would not look out of place on the Football Clichés podcast. Interesting mm. use of... Um, I hadn't thought about this, but with Conor McNamara bringing the barn into it then, which sort of, mm. of course, opens up the barn door situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Small margins yeah. at the barn door, but not where the owl sleeps. I, but I was thinking about the, um, about the owl um, mm. analogy, though, and forgive me for being too literal once again, but... yeah. Wouldn't the owl be sitting on the on the bar, and therefore he'd be they hang upside down? They hang upside down. Do they hang upside down? They don't do they? No, do they? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 Should be where the bat sleeps. Somebody had to say it, and finally you have. It's a complete nonsense. It's where the bat sleeps. Interesting. Um, if we thought the BBC were done with this on Saturday afternoon, we're wrong. Here's a third mention for where the owl sleeps. There's a goal at Leicester, John Akers. And it's another one for Leicester. Super goal from Kieran Dewsbury Hall on his left foot. Turn, lovely turn, just inside the penalty area, centre of the goal, and just bent it into the top corner, right where the owl sleeps. It's Leicester 2, Palace 0. You see, John gets it. He's, he's a cultured guy, John. Get Burnley on the attack again. Fantastic. Absolutely dominating Brilliant. proceedings, Dave. Uh, Absolutely dominating. That's good. He's paying attention to the rest of the programme there. Not just focusing on his own game. He's listening. Very good. Too right. Too right. Um, let's get Conor McNamara on Mesut Highland Dicks one of these days, as soon as he's so keen on us. Um, next up, uh, speaking of Tim Vickery's words of wisdom, Charlie, here's some Copa Libertadores action from you. This is Red Bull Bragantino of Brazil taking on Uruguayan Giants Nacional. Now, while listening to this clip, while your brain slowly tries to establish what language this commentary is actually in, see if you can pick out the very novel term for a near-post flick-on. La banda del parque. One hitter, the come over, Italo! <laughs> yes! The old man, Italo, second hitter inside the area to the delight of those at the Nabi Abi Shejid. And Red Bull Bragantino, who were looking the better team for most of this half. We're coming off the boil. Well, they're back on. And this is something they learned in the training ground. How about the comb over? <laughs> Charlie, if, if if you had to lose one of eyebrows or comb over for a near post flick on from a corner, which one are you keeping? Comb over? <laughs> I'm just trying to, th like, is that just the sort of direction? Where's that coming from? Is that the sort of direction of the hair sort of sweeping one side to the other. I don't know if angle of head is particularly crucial here. I think it's just the fact that the ball sort of skids off the head, the comb over, so it sort of just goes over your head. That's oh, it. I see. What did you think it was? No, I was imagining a comb over, the way it looks is that it kind of goes from one side to the other. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, um, yeah. that's kind of what I was yeah. thinking. I suppose okay. the ball could hit someone's head and re-comb over the hair if it had come out of place. If it was a particularly mm. wet day. Yeah. What happened with that clip? Yeah. Why did he suddenly turn yeah. into English halfway through? <laughs> no, absolutely no idea. Absolutely incredible. It's, it's, it's the biggest allowed? mishmash of cultures, accents and languages I've ever heard in a football commentary. Um, fascinating. Um, 
well, everything about it is fascinating, but comb over it is. That's what it's going to be from now. And we don't see too many near post flick-ons. It's not really a no. post-millennial thing, but um, if next time we do, comb over it is. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, next up, Dave, just for you, but also for me too, and Charlie, some rare approved wrestling action. Because as Tom Worsley points out, this mid-1990s WWF co-commentator sounds exactly like Ian Dark. (laughs) The Hulkster goes to work. And Hogan making a tremendous recovery here, slamming the head of the Undertaker into the turnbuckle. And what a great, great champion Hogan is proving to be. Nobody, but nobody has done this to the Undertaker. What <laughs> Alfred Hayes, Hulk Hogan is bleeding. I know he's seen the laceration somewhere. Well, he's taken some tremendous heavy blows from the Undertaker, and he's going for the tombstone. Oh! Is this it? Do we have a new champion here in the World Wrestling Federation? <laughs> it's absolutely perfect. It's absolutely perfect. This is, of course, Hulk Hogan versus The Undertaker for the very first time at Hulkamania 6, July 1991, Dave. Um, it's, it's bang on. I think that was actually the name of the VHS rather than the event itself. Oh, fuck off. Just to, fuck just off. to correct you. <laughs> yeah, no such thing as... You can keep that one in. You can keep that one in. Don't mind. It is good though. It works. So, because um, because Ian Dark does has done a bit of boxing. He, he in does his boxing time. exactly. Yeah. So mm. I, it sounded really familiar. Who is it? Who the hell is it? It's Lord Alfred Hayes, who was a curious sort of anachronism. He, he kind right. of he, I think he was mates with Vince McMahon, who's the boss of the WWF. His dad, he was mates of his dad, and sort of right. kept hanging around even though he was like this weird English bloke who didn't fit in with anything, but there he was. Well, because even in the commentary there, it doesn't sound like him and the other guy, They're almost, it sounds like they're almost two separate entities. They mm. don't sound like they're really in sync with one another. Like he is yeah. just sort of going rogue. I don't know if but he ever even, did any football. I doubt it. It could, it could easily pass as Ian Dark. But it's not just the accent, Charlie. It's like it's kind of the rhythm, the tone. Yeah, Everything's yeah, exactly yeah. as Ian Dark commentates. It's fascinating. It really is. It, 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 because of the boxing thing, it really does sound like mm. it It almost could be him. Yeah. I mean, how did... They, so this guy was just watching... Or, or <laughs> I, I guess maybe he was just reminded of his, his Hulkamania VHS. And oh, but I had my mind when I heard it for the first time. That was absolutely sensational. Tom Worsley, credit to you. We should really try and find some Ian Dark from boxing and put them side by side to really mm. do the uh, the ultimate test here. Mm. So let's have a listen. But again, his head's in the clear, another huge vintage Tyson right cracks, explodes against the jaw of Williams. And they're making a tremendous recovery here, slamming the head of the Undertaker into the turnbuckle. He's in big trouble and he goes down. 
Next up, Ryan Shepherd asks Dave, uh, a commentator called Ashley Barnes an old warhorse when coming on at the weekend. He's only 32, and I've always associated that phrase with late 30s centre-halves who just love defending. Mm. Chiellini instantly springs to mind. What qualifies someone as an old warhorse? Well, let, let's deal with the first issue here. Is Ashley Barnes an old warhorse? Can you have a young warhorse? I think war he's horse? well on his way. Don't think you can have a young warhorse, can you? You can't have a young warhorse, but I think if anyone Fledgling was going to be a young warhorse, <laughs> Ashley Barnes would be it. I think I think he definitely qualifies. I, I don't think it should just be restricted to to centre halves. I think I think it's okay. it's it's a it's a you've got to be big and you've got to be a battler mm. and someone who likes to you know throw themselves into challenges, get the put themselves yeah. about, loves putting yeah. his head where it hurts. Yeah, it can be strikers, can't it, Charlie? Mm. Char- strikers can be war horses for sure. Mick Harford. Yeah, mm. and and I think the thirty-two-year-old shouldn't rule him out either because as long as you're weathered. Um, mm. You know, as long as you've seen enough things over the course of your career, then I, d- I don't think age at, at that point, anyway, at 32, should necessarily exclude you. The snarling former Austrian under-20 international Ashley Barnes. He is he is warhorsey. I think he's right. He's right at the cusp of it, but I think we should allow it. Uh, but yeah, warhorse centre halves, centre forwards. But you couldn't have a warhorse midfielder, Dave, because they've already got other stuff. No, well, you can't be a warhorse midfielder. Mm. No, they're not big enough, are they, generally speaking? There's an implication of aerial battle, mm. I think. Not that, not that horses do that. What about, <laughs> but what about, could somebody like, um, could Gilberto Silva have been described as a war, like in the latter no. stages of his career? Someone with that no. presence? No. No, because you actually do have to get into physical altercations. Yeah. He was too plastic. Vinnie Jones? A man. Yeah, just... Mm, that's a good shout. Mm. I just don't think it works with midfielders, about, honestly. What about Paul it doesn't Warhurst? work. <laughs> well, he played at both ends. So he played centre half and striker. So Paul Warhurst. He's a mercenary warhorse. Yeah, very much so. Uh, next up, Will Schofield was watching Manchester United's defeat at Everton on BT Sport. And um, Dave, he noticed that Martin Keown described the Everton players as queuing up to make tackles, <laughs> which I actually quite like given the circumstances. I mean, it, it was a situation where someone was having a shot and there were two players plus a goalkeeper there to block it. Mm. First one got there and t- the other two probably would have saved it as well. So yeah. Keogh said they were queuing up. Are you happy with this? Because it really should only be an offensive thing for me. Yeah, and block, blocks aren't tackles, are they really? In a, okay. In that way. okay. But um, okay. I can kind of see what he means. I suppose mm. maybe if like a player was slaloming f- through a defence, mm. you know, like Maradona in 86... You know, yeah, they sort of, you could true. be kind of queuing up. You could see him coming, you know, yeah. readying yourself for him to beat the person in front of you. But Yeah, I mean, until I heard this, Charlie, the only circumstance I thought where defenders could queue up is in bad football films where <laughs> they simply will not coordinate their defence and they have to take them on one by one. I think you could say that they're queuing up to make the block, which is, mm. which is what he means, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, and I do know what he means yeah. there when someone is about to make the shot and the team is so committed that there are like four... That it would... There are like four players between the ball. Like even if it beat the first one, yeah. there are like three others who've already dived in behind him. And I think in that okay. instance, they are almost queuing up to make the block. Yeah, yeah. I just, I think it works better as I don't dislike it as a defensive thing, but I think it works better as an attacking thing because it implies that you know that they've got all the time in the world to just stand there and wait for the ball to come over. Whereas defensive defending 
is more of an urgent task, mm. so perhaps doesn't work. But uh, before the game had even started, Matt Taylor writes in, there was a possibility that Martin Keown, just what a player he was by the Wade himself. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, certainly there's a great history with this football club where you just feel it, sense it all around you. People are going to ask me to put my boots on and come back and represent the team, but... <laughs> now I I know we're we're skirting around the concept, Charlie, but he did he did imply that uh, fans are asking him to get his boots back on and play for Everton again, which is in the universe of what a player he is, by the way, isn't it? That we we could have done with him out there today. Yeah. Mm. He also said, I think at the start of the second half, he warmed to this theme by talking about what a beautiful day it was and how it was the sort of day that makes you really want to put your boots on and get back out there. So. The urge was strong in him mm. um, over the course of this game. Interesting that, Dave, you could never say what a day it is today, by the way. You could, you, you could, it just doesn't work with the weather, does it? Oh, I, I could see Ali McCoy saying that. I could imagine, <laughs> I could imagine yes, Ali McCoy turning up. He turns up. It's the first... You, all, the, all the production crew are there in Goodison Park and he turns... Oh, guys, hello. What a day it is today, by the way. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the McCoist exemption could work there, absolutely. Defending like that, Charlie, you know, getting your, the boot in where it hurts, etc., strikes me as it could qualify as one of the basics. That is what proper football men demand from their team, often when it hasn't happened. What are the basics? Tell me what run, run me through what the basics are. I feel like the first one on the list should be getting to the ball first. Mm. Sunes loves the basic. Winning your headers. Mm. Um, yeah, being being completely committed yeah. to your tackles, um, running around a lot and looking like you're... <laughs> that, you, <laughs> that you care and that you're invested. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess the way reverse engineer is like, th- these are basic things. Mm. Get, like simple part can make Five your simple pass exactly yeah, yeah. Like, yeah these are basic things they're not doing so we've got we've got tackling and running and closing down which I think could could exist under the umbrella term winning your battles yes yeah, second balls second balls yeah that's basics or is it basic yeah I suppose it is um, clearing, short passing clearing, clearing your lines if you need to yeah yeah yeah, yeah these are basic things that you you know yeah no nonsense basic um what about concentration what about mentality like you've got to be switched on at a corner dave that's basic yeah. isn't it yeah like yeah following your man being tight being gold side all that stuff um, yeah. not what ball about watching. um yeah looking along the line if you're a striker oh, yeah. oh i like this that's that's advanced basics yes <laughs> that is a level basics <laughs> Anything that annoys a co-commentator when it doesn't happen, yeah. it has to be you can in see, the realm of you can see right, right along the line there. The line. That's basics. They teach that under thirteens. That's <laughs> basics for me. One of the most. But if you if you foul throw, I mean that is that is these are basic yeah. things. But that is that's I mean, that pure is seriously basics. basic. Yeah, I think yeah. it's almost sub basics. Yeah, it I might think be. It, is it might be. Yeah. It's like yeah, pr- it's, it's like, like kindergarten. Yeah, you wouldn't even be praised for doing it. No, no, exactly. because you would get praised for doing the basics on a consistent basis. So, yeah, yeah. the basics are a very precise concept. Thought this was going to be a fluffy bit of the podcast. It wasn't. Crucial. Crucial. Next up, we've talked about the basics, but now I want to discuss, Dave, an example of a pathetic new football fad. And that is teams not walking on the opposition team's badge on the carpet when they arrive at the stadium. Pathetic. 
I've not noticed this. No. When, when, did well, the, when did this happen? It reared its ugly head last week <laughs> uh, when Luis Suarez and his Atletico Madrid teammates um, made right. a very big deal of avoiding the Manchester City badge on the carpet of the tunnel at the Etihad. Okay. So this was when they were arriving at the stadium to go into the into the dressing rooms, and then when they were going out the dressing rooms to have warm up, I think. Yeah. So Suarez like deliberately making sure that people didn't go on it, and and it turns out. I, I wasn't sure, Charlie, if this was a kind of a respect thing or a superstition thing. Mm. Turns out it's the former. It's the stealth, classy touch hit of really? 2022. Yeah, it's a big deal. That's... Don't re- disrespect your own badge or the other team's badge. Badges should not be walked on, even though they exist everywhere on the floor at stadiums. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did... the superstition thing, maybe I could tell you, but that's... That's crazy. Of all players as well, you'd expect Suarez. Yeah, to be yeah. Tap dancing on the badge. Well, a certain code exists, doesn't it? So we've we've established, I think, the mentality behind it, David. This is one yeah. of these kind of a, a, a rare classy touch that comes from the players without us really knowing, and then we have to get on board with mm. it later on. But my second thing, from a practical perspective, yes, okay, this works with you know six foot wide crests. On the carpet as you're walking along, but what if a what if a club sort of incorporates the design into a carpet, mm. like in little tiny tiles? You'd have to be, <laughs> you'd have to be hopping around. around it, yeah, <laughs> like hopscotch or something. Yeah. It's increasing the difficulty to go through the Champions League. Ridiculous. It also brings to mind, um, you know, I'd never really thought about these badges being on the carpets and stuff in the tunnels and, and things like that. So, could we hopefully one day see a player um, kiss the badge on the floor? Mm. Oh. Or touch it in a This Is Anfield um, yeah. style kind of a way. <laughs> Honour it. Scrape your hand across it as you walk. Yeah. Um, one to keep an eye on. Um, the moment that someone transgresses this current modern code, I want to see what the uh, repercussions are. Um, elsewhere on the continent, uh, we discussed recently, Charlie, the concept of being of a player being on their bike and what exactly it meant. We disagreed, I think. Um, mm. We had a very fevered discussion about what it meant mm. to be on your bike. Well, here's from the Bundesliga. A bit of counter-attacking action from the Bundesliga. And here's what a co-commentator had to say. Excellent stuff. Yeah, this is counter-attack at its best. Simakanen's in intercepting the pass from Siller and you know, gets, on his, gets on his horse, really. And it's, it's a great <laughs> hanged-up cross to the back post. And then Kunku knows what he's doing. As soon as the balls come over, just ahead of the cross, was... gets on his horse. Well, isn't but isn't he mangling the "get back on the horse" uh, <laughs> expression of of the like you know when you've um, you haven't done something for a while, you got to just get back on the horse. Yeah, you reckon? Fall off. The yeah, horse. yeah. Why? So, I, so I think he was he's... just talking about a player streaking forward on the counter attack. Yes, but I think he's just slightly confused those two. I don't I'm not he, sure he has. I think he's just using sure he horse has. for bike. Yeah, I think he's just using it as a. It's you a think he means take. horse? Oh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gets on his gets horse. on his horse. I mean, it doesn't it's, I don't know. There's something about it. I mean, was the defender jockeying him? I mean, that, that's is the it only, um, yeah, is it an Irish thing? Because he sounds like he had a bit of an Irish twang to his accent there. He was uh, he's Irish, Canadian, great, played in Scotland. Kevin McKenna, I believe his name is. So not Irish. But uh, but we know the Irish love a horse. So. I think it, I think it works, and in a way, there's a different connotation to it. I suppose though, like a, like there's you know the gal there's like a gap you know if you're on a the horse you expect yeah. sort of galloping, don't you? Sort of I think it's better than bike. Yeah, I think I it's better think than bike. So. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, getting quickly saddling up and getting over there. Well, also, oh, like horse. which is faster? A bike's faster than horses? No, it depends on the bike. No, don't know. I'm, I mean, even a velodrome cyclist is not going to be hitting the speed of a 
That's a really, that's really interesting. Downhill question. cyclist in the Tour de France. Downhill cyclist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gravity now is it? <laughs> you ever seen a horse running downhill? Surely, no. a, surely a bike can beat a horse. Like the the best bike in the world is surely beating a horse. Well, yeah, this is a little bit too keys and grey for us, isn't it? Um, it's a bit like something they would debate on their podcast. <laughs> More of them later. Um, next up, going right around the world with our co-commentary gems today. This is from Liam Tharm, who um, spotted this during a um, in the A League derby between Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City. Melbourne Victory are away for Pete's sake. <laughs> You're right, Robbie. I mean, no, he's been great there on gear, and of course he's sore, and it's a hamstring that's gone, but you don't stop the game for it. I don't know how you get it through people's heads. When was the last time someone died of a torn hamstring? (laughs) Had to be hospitalised. (laughs) Something so Australian about that, Dave. For Pete's sake! I think you could be top hospitalised with a torn hand. Yeah, yeah, I know, I did like I that. It comes away from the bone, bone. trust me. Hospitalised for a hospital. hamstring injury. Yeah. <laughs> Just run it off. <laughs> that, that, there speaks a man who has never torn his hamstring away from his ischial tuberosity like I did. Oh. And, uh, yeah. But that, obviously, obviously, NHS can't do anything with that. Uh, off you go. See you later. Um, but, yeah, want to hear more co-commentators, Charlie, shout for Pete's sake. Yeah, that's proper, proper football manning. Mm. I mean... You know, when a torn hamstring doesn't cut the mustard as an injury. Absolutely right. Um, last week, Dave, we were talking about the doldrums mm. and who who existed in the doldrums right now. Uh, there was a consensus that Manchester United are in the doldrums. Everton skirting around the doldrums. Um, we were you happy with that as a as a benchmark? Yeah, I think we had a few we had a few people tweet in after that, kind of expressing some discontent with our definition yeah but i think we kind of broadly broadly got it but okay. th- i've been thinking about the doldrums and i, I like to envisage them as like sort of a, like a, a like a mountainous region that like you know you might be flying you know the, the pilot might just be com- coming over the tannoy on a plane going just next just, up we turn our attention across the doldrums or just just we... look, just just coming over the doldrums here if you look out your window on <laughs> the right yep so um we needed some help i think to really pin down what the doldrums are and to our rescue, via listener Eddie Rose, have come the social media team at Manchester United Football Club. Um, if you do a search on Twitter from at Man United and the phrase honest assessment, here is what appears. Ralph Rangnick, April 9th, an honest assessment of today's defeat. March the 16th, David De Gea provides an honest assessment of Tuesday's game. October the 25th, 2021, Luke Shaw gives an open and honest assessment of their recent form. February 2021, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, an honest assessment of what I assume was a defeat. Oh, it was a draw at West Brom. It's still the same. Bruno Fernandes, February 6th, 2021, an honest assessment. An honest assessment from Bruno Fernandes on December the 10th, 2020. I could go on. Scott McTominay, an honest assessment, October the 4th, 2020. Very honest, players, aren't they? This is a club addicted to honest assessments, and that, to me, Dave, is doldrum behaviour. Yes, because why else would it need to be stated that the assessment is indeed honest? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Charlie, quite surprisingly, you have to go all the way back to August the 17th, 2020 to have the first honest assessment from Harry Maguire, who I think is probably one of the masters of the honest assessment these days. Mm, the looking in the mirror, 
Honest assessment king. The headline for his honest assessment is losing isn't acceptable at this club, says Maguire. (laughs) (laughs) That's like one of those admits when it's Mm. like he he admits something. It's like, I'm not sure that's an admission uh, as such. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there is a very direct correlation between on assessments and doldrums. Uh, that's not to say that he's an in, he's a a streaky honest assessor because uh, Harry Maguire produced two honest assessments in the space of what seems to be ten days across two thousand nineteen twenty. So he knows an honest assessment when it when he sees it. Just um, but needs yeah. an honest assessment to go in off his bum. And, yeah. Uh, um, uh, honestly, just to scroll down this Twitter search, I really do recommend it. It's mesmerising. <laughs> Array of honest assessments, <laughs> and that to me is pure doldrum. So, uh, but speaking of doldrums, Charlie, this is um, from John Keogh, who has been keeping an eye on this recently and, and keeping me frequently updated with its progression. Um, he's pointed me towards places 14 to 20 in the championship. I'll read them out for you. One team's going to ruin this, but I'll keep going. 14th, Swansea City. 15th, Stoke City, 16th, Blackpool, 17th, Cardiff City, 18th, Birmingham City, 19th, Bristol City, 20th, Hull City. Wow. That's such doldrum yeah. things. Big, biggish clubs with city in their name, which, is, which offers a low, you know, a real benchmark for, for big clubness. You have to mm. be fairly big to be a city, and they're all occupying those, those really doldrumy places in the championship. Wow. That is the doldrumy mountain range. That Dave was describing. You you mm. look over and they're all there, all next to each other. As well, apparently, David, I think it, there is a geographical element to the doldrums. There's the, the, apparently, when you Google doldrums, the intertropical yeah. convergence zone known by sailors as the doldrums. Oh. So, so maybe one maybe one day like, you will fly over there. Do bad things happen in the doldrums? Do like well, ships go missing and stuff? Well, yes, it's ma- it's monotonous, windless weather. Um, it's the area where the oh. northeast and the southeast trade winds converge. Wow! Oh, right. Okay. Surely that's a good thing. Yeah. It does, that, well, no, it's that, not good for sailors, is it? Yeah, I guess bad for sailors, but it sounds sounds great it, for like playing football. No, on, no big waves. Yeah. The um, the intertropical convergence zone is the playoff you have to play when you <laughs> <laughs> when you lose to Australia in the in the World Cup qualifying. It does sound like exactly, Tim Vickery will tell us is actually a Brazilian football term. The intertropical convergent zone where would no, that be it, on the pitch we just call it the channels yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> next up this is from Alexander Ward who's given us a fresh exciting new entry into a tired old genre Wall and Barnsley have won just one of their last six matches the difference between them is that Millwall still have a chance of the playoffs and Barnsley are in the bottom three Aaron Paul mm, two teams drinking in and around the last chance saloon I think Steve Millwall were the form team <laughs> in February and looked like they were making a charge of the playoffs but two defeats Charlie how do you feel about in and around last chance saloon didn't like it at first then it grew on me I mean the idea that it could be you know you could offer outside seating at the, mm. the, the last chance saloon yeah. Yeah, smoking areas. Fun, funny enough, I um, Dan Kilpatrick at the Standard heard I was next to him. And he heard this in real time. He said, "You wow. you are going to love this um, <laughs> on Saturday, but before the uh, Villa Spurs game." Yeah, I I I'm a big fan of it. I mean, it's totally ridiculous the idea that, that we're not just talking about the last <laughs> last chance to do. We're talking about it's Enverons, Enverons. Yeah, um, mm. yeah I, I, I like it. Let's be as yeah. specific as, as as we can with it. Yeah, I'm, I mean, Dave, I'm, I'm, picturing this, I'm picturing the saloon bar to have like a porch. Mm. And you could have some tables mm. on that. 
yep, that works. Works for yeah. me. Yeah, first sunny day of the year out there in your, co- in your coats with your pints at the last chance saloon. But it's a bit of a get-out clause as well, Dave. I mean, if you think a team isn't quite, quite mm. there, they might have another lifeline. That puts them in and around last chance saloon. I think it works as a little buffer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm happy with it, yeah. Mm. Um, well, yeah, kudos to... UBC Radio 5 Lives and Breaking Bad's Aaron Paul there. Um, <laughs> uh, another familiar phrase in football terms, taken to a perhaps hypological extension, Charlie. Here's Ivan Tony scoring against West Ham for Brentford at the weekend. Henry hands it to the far post, and Boma right across the face of goal! Food and drink for Ivan Tony. Enjoying his Sunday lunch of a goal against West Ham United. Now, listener Joe, Charlie says, what simply is the definition of a Sunday lunch of a goal? <laughs> it would need to be, would a team goal be a Sunday lunch? Because you've got different elements. Or is it more of a kind of traditional in your face, have some of that 30 mm. yard Sunday lunch? Yeah, I mean, firstly as well, I always thought it was meat and drink rather than... Food and drink. Either you've got, I think, either bread and butter, bread, got, and, butter, bread and butter, got, meat or and meat drink. and drink. That's meat and drink. Yeah. Or maybe that's more when you're talking about a goal. That's meat and drink for the goalkeeper. You can have food like an and easy drink. Cross. I think. I think you can drink. have food and drink. Okay. Yeah. Sunday lunch of a goal. Yeah. I mean, well, I think it does have to be very English. Mm. Um, oh yeah. In how it was a header after all. Yeah. So I. So whatever the goal is, I think it has to be a kind of staple of English football. But it's time way. slot specific as well. They were playing it. They were playing. Oh, true. Oh, yeah. No Sunday. question. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. If you said it any other day, that would be the weirdest thing in the world. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yes. um, in the Champions yeah. League. Almost went without saying, but not quite. Not. Not. Not to literally, Dave. Um, <laughs> uh, are you down with this, Dave? I mean, uh, sort of an old English style goal: meat and potatoes, meat and yeah, drink, meat, meat and veg. Yeah, I think it's yeah. pro- it probably is a, a, a cross and a header. Feels the most quintessentially Sunday lunch, uh, Sunday lunch of a yeah. dollop of yeah. gravy and all of that. Yeah, heads it into the onion gravy bag. Mm. Good, good. Next up, it's been bothering me for a while because um, it seems to have um, taken on a mind of its own recently, Dave. Um, which managers have had the privilege or continue to have the privilege? For having their style of play ham-fistedly awarded the suffix ball mm. <laughs> with their name. Um, let's get it out of the way first. I feel like it's, the concept has become very loose. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's being used ironically a little bit, but it, it's not quite the exclusive thing it used to be. Well, I, I saw somebody talking about um, Manchester United the other day, prophesizing the arrival of Ten Hag ball Ooh. at Old Trafford. And by the way, ball. It just doesn't. Uh, yeah, I don't think it, it. There are certain names with which it fits quite nicely, but a ten hog, ten hog ball doesn't work for me. Too many syllables. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. Know. Well, maybe not. So two. Yeah, about? I mean, because the the godfather of this, in my mind, is Sarri ball. That's how it started for me. You think so? Yeah. Do you think so? That's how I. Well, that's how I remember ball coming to prominence was Napoli yeah. would score a goal where everyone passed it and they scored and then it would get tweeted out. Sarri ball and everyone yeah. would go nuts and then mm. that got used increasingly for everyone in a kind of like this is better than Sarri ball sort of way mm. so, yeah and it also got used as a stick to beat him with once he turned up at Chelsea as well sure yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when they passed loads and didn't score it'd be like oh great yeah. this is Sarri ball 
Mm. Oh, yeah, I agree with you, Charlie. That, that, was the last, that was the first one I could remember in mainstream culture. But I wanted to know how far back we could go with this. And you might be surprised to learn that if you go back to 2004, um, Arsenal fan blog, Arsenal Mania, declared Wenger Ball to be a thing. And yeah. I think I vaguely remember this now, Wenger Ball. Yeah. Uh, let me give you an example Same. of what they're citing here. The mm. fluid movement. This is in a piece called Jose Antonio Reyes, the most important signing in Arsenal's history. And the passage says, the fluid movement of what a lot of us at Arsenal Mania like to call Wenger Ball. I think Wenger's Arsenal could qualify for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I Definitely. mean, uh, fair Works play. Works as well, vocally. Yeah. Yeah, it Vengeable. does. It rolls off the tongue quite nicely. I, you're right. I do remember, I can remember that sort of maybe a bit later than 2004, but I can remember that being the first sort of utterings of, of this phenomenon. Mm. And, it, and it's an appropriate one. But it's it obvious, I think, as I'd said, it's got to the point now where basically any manager can can have it tagged onto yeah. their name like you yeah. wouldn't be surprised to, to, to hear people talk about hodgson ball <laughs> i think i think the most tenuous one i heard um, whilst respecting the fact he has a very distinct style of play which was um, valerian ismail at west brom whose style of play was dubbed valball valball at the hawthorns um yeah. didn't work out quite well um if only Charlie Allen Ball's brief <laughs> Southampton period in the mid-1990s had spawned mm. a discernible style of play. That would have been good. Yeah, ball nice, ball a nice good. Matt Letizia goal after, yeah, ball ball. Um, yeah, I mean, what, I mean, would Dyche Ball, could you talk about a sort of set piece? I have to say, I've never heard Dyche Ball. I'm surprised. Do you know what? They scored that goal against Everton, I think it was, in 2017, where they did actually score kind of back to front and they passed it loads and the whole thing was like, and I thought... Burnley played boring football. I mm. imagine if that happened now, there'd be a lot of dice ball. Yeah, you, the two people you most notable that you don't really hear it for. Notable. You don't. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't hear Pep ball. Or no, Klopp, we don't. Klopp ball, do you? Really? I, I wonder why that is. Is it because they are so elevated from the rest that it isn't? It, it, I don't know what I could. I could also just. I think. It. I think the. I think the fact that both their um, last names end end with a P doesn't mm. doesn't help, doesn't it? Is it, does it sound as nice, does it? Pep ball. You pep have to ball. Pe- pep ball. Clock nice. ball. I do wonder if as well they are just a bit above it and beyond yeah. it. Because it feels yeah. a little bit like what teams will do, fans of teams will do to show that our manager is good and we do play good football. And, it, and it's a novel Take period that. for that style of play as well. It's like it's just only becoming noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, so Sarri ball was, was, a, was a, general, a genuine hype machine, wasn't it, mm. at one point? Whereas we all know what Guardiola's teams sort of want to do. Yeah, Same with exactly. Klopp. Yeah, yeah. I think it's often a new manager because it is a kind of like, look, we're we're playing amazing football. Yeah, exactly right. Um, on a similar note, we we spoke last week about um, <laughs> which managers um, have earned the right to have their name presented with the possessive next to their team. Your Frank Lampard's Everton's yeah. of this world, and um, listener Dave S went to extreme lengths. To, to really document this for us. He has, he has shared with me some data-backed findings on, ma- on the Manager X's Club Y league table. And he reveals that Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa, um, as a proportion of all mentions of the article, in articles of that manager and that team, 6.7% for Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa. Bottom of the table, Ralph Rangnick's Manchester United with 0.4%. <laughs> there we go. He was so second bottom in our table, wasn't he? 
I think something like that. Yeah, I think he was down there. I think you had Hodge. You had Hodgson last, um, which Hodgson's fourth, which is in this confirmed league table. In fact, yeah, yeah, Champions um, League places. But you weren't far. Yeah, and you also had Jesse Marsh with Ralph Ranić in the bottom three with Hodgson, and Jesse Marsh yeah. is second bottom in this table. So you weren't you yeah. weren't far off. Yeah, Graham Potter's Brighton in fifth. Frank Lampard's Everton in second, as we expected. So we, we more or less nailed it. Mm. Really happy. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right then, that's the adjudication panel taken care of. Boy, do I have a keys and grey corner for you. Let's kick things off with a riposte to the recent Richard Keys recipe of steak au poivre in an early 90s recipe book. This is from Cameron Christie, who has stumbled across 2009 charity cookbook The Caledonian Kitchen, in which Andy Gray gives his recipe for beef au lait. Wow. Let me give you the ingredients first. One pound of mince, (laughs) one large onion chopped, small tin of sweet corn, one tin of condensed cream of tomato soup, one small can of tomato puree, one teaspoon of chilli powder, seasoning, eight ounces of noodles cooked and drained, four ounces of cheddar cheese grated. And here is the method. Fry the mince and onion in a heavy base pan. Add all the ingredients to the pan with the exception of the noodles and cheese and mix well. In an oven-proof dish, alternate layers of meat mixture and noodles. (laughs) Sprinkle the cheese on top. Cook in an oven for 160 degrees for 35 minutes. That sounds rank. I've never heard anything like it. Mince noodles. Beef ole. Beef ole. Where where did that come from? The Caledonian... Caledonian kitchen. Charity Cookbook 2009. What a discovery. That's absolutely <laughs> sensational. I... That Beef. just sounds Beef. disgusting. Olé is in... Olé is in... Milk. Um, olé. Olé, in... yeah, with the accent, yeah. Oh, I always meant like beef olé. Like, like, like olé. <laughs> <in, with, with laughs> milky beef. No, not some sort of Celtic... <laughs> milky um, beef. <laughs> mishmash. No, no. This is beef, noodles and tomato soup in layers. <laughs> Oh my God. 35 minutes. You're going to cook the shit out of that in 35 minutes. Um, Low temperature, though. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you're on death row, Dave. Are you yeah. having steak au poivre cooked by Richard Keyes? Or are you having beef au lait cooked by Andy Cray? I mean, I I think I probably would go with the beef au lait. Interesting. As, really? I, I think I probably would. I don't want. Jeez. I don't want an overdone, knackered old steak with a bit of pepper on it. I want. You know, if I'm going to have either, if I'm choosing from either, at least. I mean, it, might, it seems unconventional, but the beef and the noodles and tomato sauce might be all right. How many women do you think that he has cooked this for, Charlie? <laughs> I. Uh, 
a lot. I would go. I think I'd go steak au poivre. Fair enough. Out of the two of them, it's classier. I think classier. that might there might be something salvageable in that. I mean, yeah. people, they could just at least if the if the beef's good, tweak it. You've got it all right. Add something else on the plate. You'll be all right. Absolutely yeah, okay. But yeah, yeah. Good to see they're both keen cooks. <laughs> Next up, this is from Rory McKenzie. Um, this is a clip from their podcast, um, and. It has all the classic ingredients here, Charlie. It has Andy Gray just refusing to believe what he's being told for ages. Keezy saying a name in an almost hyper-parodical Keezy way. And a little sprinkling of thinly veiled climate change denial. (laughs) How long does it take to score a goal? A second. Right. I think we all agree on that. I'm just about to list the players who had just one touch in the Premier League. (laughs) No. One touch. One Shut up. Touch. No. Yes. What yes. Do you mean? What, just one touch I mean, of a football. One touch of a football. Yes. No, that can't be right. Yeah, well, it, it is. Must have been more than and this one is a touch. list that goes back to two thousand three four because that's when records began. A little bit like climate change, change records. Yeah, They're yeah, only one hundred and fifty, yeah. two hundred years old. But anyway, these are the people that had <laughs> one touch. Okay. One. Andrew Barrowman for Birmingham City in a one-deal defeat to Leicester in March 2004. One touch, this is. No. Okay? That can't be right. <laughs> I, honestly, there are so many things that are battling for my, for my recognition and appreciation here, Charlie, but it's, but it's just Andy Gray throughout just refusing no. to accept the concept that this may have happened. That's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, Andrew Barrowman is, is obviously said... Any kind of Andrew the cl- Barryman. The, cl- the climate change bit, because that's another great thing of correct when Keyes comes up <laughs> with one of his like half-baked theories, l- like the training ground one. Um, wow. Climate change existed before 1992. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when Qatar's under sea in the year 2050. <laughs> we were right. <laughs> we said it. We said it. Um, now, next up. In Keys and Grey Corner. Dave, we we intermittently sort of refer to Richard Keyes as, as almost partridge-like, which feels like a cliche in itself, a cliche within a cliche, and, and it feels a bit boring to, to say that. But of course, it's been staring us in our face all this time that his real spiritual brother, in broadcasting terms, is this guy. This is from Good Morning Britain and a segment entitled Are Oil Protests Justified? I've got to tell you, we, we were expecting to get some messages of support from our viewers for you. Mm. We haven't had one. Not one. We've had nothing but, but furious complaints from people. Nothing. Nothing, nothing positive at all. <laughs> Richard Maidley, Richard Keyes, they're the same. <laughs> There's a big, big crossover between Partridge, Keyes and Maidley. Mm. I think that the two of the... the they have both been compared to Partridge a lot, so it stands to reason that they would also yeah. share a lot of similarities. And you know, Keezy cut his teeth on the mm. um, you know what was the precursor. I suppose it's sort of in the same lineage, isn't it, of the GMB yeah. sofa? Back I on want to see Mariah Carey on TV. Good Morning Britain being yeah, exactly. interviewed by Richard Madeley. It'd be like oh. a reboot of the classic. Yeah. That'd be so good. Um, but yeah, uh, they really are natural bedfellows. Susanna Reid's not really Andy Gray, though. No, no, I wouldn't say so. Wouldn't say so. Next up, this is from Fraser. Uh, This is Richard Keyes summing up the size of the task on Frank Lampard's hands when he took over from Rafa Benitez at Everton. (laughs) It was a shameful appointment by Everton. I know people are now saying, well, what about Lampard? You know, seven defeats in nine. Um, Frank Lampard 
has to 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 coin a well-known sports phrase inherited a crock of shit yes he has (laughs) (laughs) and is doing as well as he can in the most extraordinarily testing circumstance that's it charlie lampard is now officially the guy they defend to the hilt yes he's the new allardyce i was gonna say such a weird they're sort of quite i mean obviously they hate but i think it's probably mainly uh keezy's Benitez agenda, anti Benitez mm. agenda, isn't it? So he's he's got to back his successor. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting. Shit. A crock of shit. I mean, it's <laughs> the power shift. The dynamic does seem to be moving a little bit more in Keezy's favour. The way mm. that Gray does agree with his theories, and there seems to be suggested that that's a really clever. The way he said a sport, you know, a oh, sporting phrase. Good, good one, mm. Richard. And so yeah. fair play to uh, Keezy. It's been fascinating to watch that him sort of you know grab that some of that power back in that well, relationship interesting interesting that you think he's sort of dominating the discourse there even with even with someone like Andy Gray who a former Everton player of course because here they are discussing Everton's fight against relegation I think this is my favourite Keys and Gray clip of all time it's up there enjoy it Frank they've been oh, on his case almost week in week out since yeah. he got the job and, and good luck to him yeah. nobody in their right mind wants to see Everton relegated nobody not even not even the most fervent Liverpool fan. really well, of course they don't. Why would, <laughs> <laughs> Why would you? Why would you? Why would you? Of course they, they don't. don't. Oh, don't be silly, Andy. It's amazing. It's the perfect delivery. It really is. <laughs> Doesn't what an amazing claim. Of course they don't. <laughs> oh, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Andy Gray just not even giving any a chance to disagree. Finally, on Keys and Grey Corner this week, a well-worn subject. Nobody really cares about this anymore. Keezy cares, and Andy Gray, well, sort of cares, about Paul Pogba. <laughs> Please, has there ever been a more overrated footballer in the history of the game than Paul Pogba? Game? <laughs> in the history of the game? Yes, wow. overrated, big-money footballer, of whom there is expectation every time mm-hmm. you see him. And he has delivered in a Manchester United jersey nothing. No. And he's got the cheek to claim he's wasted five and a half years of his career. He could have come on there today as a World Cup winner mm-hmm. and bossed that when he yeah. made an entrance. Yeah. <laughs> no, Manchester United have been short Nothing. I mean, obviously, he did things in Italy that, that I didn't see, you know what. So he must, he must have got his reputation from somewhere. He's a World Cup winner. <laughs> oh, for um, goodness my two, sake. My two favourite bits here, Charlie, are the bonus nothing out of nowhere. Uh, and then it's uh, Andy Gray just ignoring everything that Paul Pogba did in Italy because he didn't watch it. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing he did some stuff in Italy. I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. Yeah, at least there I do like, I mean, he clearly, that is one of those where Gray clearly doesn't care as much yeah. as, as you know, Gray's going. It's like, yeah, yeah, they have been a bit short-changed. It just smacks of five minutes left on the running order. Should we do Pogba? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Well, what should, we've got best player of all time. No, we did that last week. Yeah. Uh, Mike Ashley. Oh. No, he's gone. No, he's let's let's gone. just do Pogba. Rafa's gone. Pogba. Yeah, let's just yeah. go Pogba again for no reason. <laughs> Keezy just standing in front of the screen pointing at the pitch at Goodison Park as he was making his point as if it made any difference whatsoever. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant. Wow, Keezy that was corner. that was a spectacular. We're not going to top corner. that. Keys and Grey Corner very much the uh, Manchester City Liverpool to the adjudication panel's Norwich Burnley. Uh, but but we, uh, we gave them both full respect nonetheless. David Walker, thanks to you. Thank you. Charlie Ecochere, good luck on the Intertotally. All the best. Thank you very much.
and we'll see everybody on Thursday. Bye. The Athletic.